This is a special episode of Judaism Unbound, Lex's Eli Talk. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Dan Liebenson. And I'm Lex Rofus. And we're here for a midweek special to share with you a really exciting talk that Lex gave recently as part of the Eli Talk series. That is a sort of Jewish version of TED Talks. And uh, I gave one many years ago, and now Lex has given one. It's our hazing ritual. Everybody's got to do it. Yeah. So, Lex, we're really excited to listen to your Eli talk, to listen to the audio. If folks want to see the video, they can go to the Eli Talks website. And uh, we're going to listen to the audio now, and then we're going to talk through it together a little bit briefly. What was the Eli talk called? It's called Migrating Judaism, the Internet Movement. Oh, great. So here we go with your Eli talk. Eighteen hundred years ago, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi had a massive issue to wrestle with. He was leader of the Jewish people, and he had to figure out how to best ensure the preservation of Jewish wisdom from one generation to the next. Not a new dilemma. All of his predecessors had the same issue to wrestle with, and everybody afterwards would think about it too. But Rabbi Yehuda was particularly notable because he made a drastic and radical new decision. He took a set of ideas called the Oral Torah, and he wrote them all down. He made them written. And this was important not only because nobody had done it before, but also because it was actually against the rules. He was breaking with accepted custom that said, you know what? You're not supposed to write down any element of the oral tradition. And he went and wrote down the whole thing. And so, so why do I bring this up? Well, we're wrestling with an equally radical shift today. And it's not going to surprise anyone. It relates also to the way we access information and access Judaism. I'm talking about the internet. We're experiencing something just as radical as, as the shift that Rebbe Yehuda brought in his time. And the way I'd like to look at it is actually as a sort of migration. I know that might sound a little strange, but just as we think about the internet as cyberspace, I think it actually makes sense to think of it as a new territory we're wandering into. It's an uncharted kind of location. And what that brings us is the ability to, to look to our Jewish past, to look to our past Jewish migrations as a way to learn about our Jewish present and our future. So let's do that. Let's start with the most ancient Jewish text we got with our Torah. And uh, let's flash to the wilderness where we wandered around for quite some time. We find ourselves in the desert and we have to make a big decision. We have to figure out, are we going to enter into this place called Canaan? So it's a big one. So we decide to send 12 leaders of the Jewish people, of the Israelites, to check it out and report back. Ten of them are pretty clear about what we should do. They say, don't do that. Don't go there. There are these big giants. We felt like little grasshoppers. Why would we go and take this incredible risk and enter into a territory we've never really seen before? I, I know our lives in the, in the wilderness aren't so great. We've been wandering around for a while, but at least we have our lives. Two folks, Joshua and Caleb, they take a different tack. They say, you know what? We should give this new place a chance. And the reason they cite in this mythic narrative is they say, well, we've got this, this holy divine leader. We've got God. 
who's going to take us in and who will lead the way. And that's a really important interpretation. I've got another one, which is that if you're trying to start a thriving civilization, it probably helps to be rooted in a spot. It probably helps to have a particular space that you can use as a sort of laboratory and get your people going. And that's what we do. Joshua and Caleb actually win the argument, two against 10. And so we, we go into this place and we start a civilization. And it goes pretty well. There's some ups and downs. You can read about them in the rest of the Tanakh. And uh, eventually a tragedy happens. And we've got another migration, this one not by choice. We've got our temple, which had become the center of Jewish existence, destroyed. We have one of the most basic traumas in our history happen, and it leads us into a forced migration, an exile, we called it, that sends us all around the world. And so this migration, it, no, nobody was happy to see it happen. But even this one brought with it some really incredible benefits. We had this tradition that was centralized and localized in one particular place. So that meant that anybody who was involved in it had to be you know, relatively close. But what we got with this shift to a, a universal religion that came as a result of the destruction of the temple was a tradition that was transportable. It was portable, it was movable all around the world. And we did so, by the way, by leaning precisely on that text that Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi brought. It wasn't just the Torah, prophets, and writings that we brought with us in this universal kind of diaspora. It was also this set of laws and practices and some new holidays, too, that we found in the Talmud. Our migrations continued. We eventually ended up migrating into America, and we got to the point that we've got 20th century songs about wherever you go, there's always someone Jewish. I mean, we laugh, but it's true. <laughs> what do we do with that? Well, we look back at our 21st century migration. We look at this entry into the internet, and we, and we try to wrestle with both the worries that the internet presents and the opportunities it can bring to the table. Because what we learn from our past migrations is even when there's danger, even when we're worried about giants, even when there's a trauma that leads to a migration, we overcome it. So I'm convinced we can overcome, you know, a shift to Wi-Fi. <laughs> what does the internet bring us? What, what do we actually get by entering into this migration? So let's start with what's most straightforward. We've got access to information. There's a lot of Jewish stuff on the internet. We've got hundreds and hundreds of hours of Jewish music. We've got Jewish podcasts. We've got Jewish videos all over the place. We have the ability sitting on our couches at home to access more Jewish wisdom than we could get at just about any library around. And we can get it mostly for free. That's new. We're lucky. But there's something else that the internet brings too. It's not just access to Jewish information. We get that. We call it the information superhighway. It doesn't surprise us that we can translate that to Judaism. But it also brings new forms of Jewish community. It's not our reflex to think about it that way yet because it's new. And we actually talk about the internet as a distraction from community. You know, we retreat into our smartphones. We, we, get distracted by our emails when we could be connecting in person. It's true. But what are the new forms of community that the internet gives us an opportunity to gain? Well, let's 
think about somebody who is living in a, in a small community. I was one of those people. I was living in Mississippi for a few years, and I actually had a nice Jewish life there, but I needed on a regular basis a feeling of, of global connection. I didn't have critical mass in my community that you might have in a Chicago, in a New York, and I found that in the internet. I, I think that there are so many people out there who feel othered, who feel marginalized, who, whether they're a Jew of color, whether they're queer, whether they're integrated, there are all sorts of reasons you could feel separate from local Jewish institutions. And in the past, what would that mean? Well, you've got a few options. Grin and bear it, keep going, feel a little dissatisfied. Two, you could retreat into individual forms of Judaism, stay connected to Judaism, but you know, get some books, find a couple close friends, and lose the communal aspect. Or three, ditch it all. Stop connecting to Judaism. People did that and do that. Today we have a, another possibility. People who don't feel connected to their in-person communities can and do find shared community online. There are Facebook group after Facebook group after Facebook group devoted specifically, precisely, to the kinds of Jewish people who need community and aren't finding it locally. But they are finding it in a community. That community just ends in .com or .org instead of avenue or road. That's the shift. That's what we're seeing today, and we can't underestimate how important it is. There is potential to feel fully transformed and live a fully thriving Jewish life online. And I want to give one snapshot into my own life to think about what that can look like. Let's flash back not a few thousand years this time, but just a few months, to the holiday of Shavuot. It's my favorite one, actually. And it's my favorite because there's this tradition of staying up all night learning Jewish text. Fun, right? I mean, for me, it's fun. I'm a bit of a nerd, but I think it's a good one. And I decided, we decided, my girlfriend and I, that we were going to go to our local synagogue to do some Jewish learning on Shavuot. Problem. It ends. Because... It's an event at a local synagogue. The events end. You know, it doesn't end the internet. It's always there. So we went to our event. It ended at 10, did some great learning. And then we went home. And we hopped on the internet. Now, I'll grant you, that's forbidden traditionally. You're not supposed to use the internet on Shavuot. And, and I'm not here to convince anyone to discard that practice. But Rabbi Yehuda Hanasis broke with a pretty entrenched custom in his time, and for, for me today, connecting with Jewish learning online, even on Shavuot, has proven powerful. But so what did we do? We went online, and specifically we headed to this website called Bimbam. And Bimbam's cool because it has animated videos for every single Torah portion, three to five minutes. And what did we do? We learned the whole, the whole thing. In five hours, we started it in Genesis, got through Deuteronomy. We engaged visually with these cool animated videos. We, we stopped, we talked about what it felt like to journey from Genesis, story of the Jewish family, into Exodus, into Leviticus and Numbers, wandering around, and you close it out with Deuteronomy. And it was such a beautiful experience that as we walked out after five hours of this and the sun was rising, I realized this was the kind of event, the kind of experience I would want to replicate over and over again. This is the kind of experience I could envision building a Jewish life around and building a family around. 
And that's what I did. I, I got down on one knee and I proposed. <laughs> and the funny thing is I didn't have the ring yet. I, I, at the beginning of the night, I didn't know I was going to propose. But this experience, this profoundly powerful connection that we built only because we had this digital Jewish option made it so clear that there was nothing for me to do other than propose. So I did. But I want to mark something. I want to name something. Bimbam did something important. They decided that they were going to shoot high. They were going to look to create a form of digital Jewish engagement that was more than just a half-hearted Facebook event to get three or four more people at my in-person gathering. It was going to be more than a committee meeting that our synagogue holds via video chat because we can't all make it to the building that day. They decided they were going to look to really create the kind of resource that could, that could be transformative for people like Valerie and I. And they succeeded because it turns out when we try, we often do succeed. When we fully jump in with both feet to these Jewish migrations of the past and the present, we tend to do a pretty good job. So my charge for everybody today is that we do just that. We jump in with both feet. Because the, the addresses of Judaism today and moving forward end in .com and .org, just like they end in Roden Street. And I'm confident that if we jump in fully, we're going to do a pretty good job of crafting a Judaism that will transform us now and in the future. Thank you. Lex, that was a really great talk. Probably second best in the history of the Eli talks. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. <laughs> so I was wondering like, uh, if there was anything in the talk that you wish that you could have expanded on that you didn't have time because these were very limited time kind of talks. And I'm curious if there were things that you kind of cut out that you sort of wish that you would have added. It's very funny. I've been writing a little bit lately, and I feel like whenever you're required to write a 500-word piece, you feel like there's a 1,000 words you left out. And whenever you're asked to write like a 1,000-word piece, there's 2,000 words you feel like you should have gotten in. Um, and it's the same with giving a talk. At least it was for me. Um, and yeah, so I mean, we all just listened to it. So I, I, I like to think that I was able to pack in some good stuff about why the shift to the Jewish internet is really important and why it parallels this history of migration of ours. But um, I mean, there's only so many examples you can bring up. At, in the various iterations and drafts of this, I was bringing up all sorts of different organizations and different of my own experiences operating online. And I didn't really end up saying so many of them. I closed by talking about this story with Valerie and I, my fiance, um, with Bim Bam. And I think that was that was the right one to choose. I really enjoyed going down that path. But there's so many others. I mean, I, I could have spoken about, I could have expanded about how I, living in Mississippi for a few years, um, the internet, whether it's Jewish organizations that function via the internet or just Facebook groups and Google Hangouts, et cetera, all of those pieces were just so, so central for me. They really were a lifeline. And um, and it's and I'm not an exception. I, I'm not some outside exception to the rule. I meet people so frequently who are either in isolated communities where they where they don't have access to Jewish resources nearby or aren't but just aren't satisfied or don't feel included in 
the stuff that is nearby. I I would have loved to go on and on about the different examples in my life and in friends of mine in their lives um, where this has been a reality, but Bim Bam was the one that, that won. So I, I found uh, the, the idea of the migration to the internet, right? I mean, making the analogy between the migration to America and the migration to the internet is really interesting. And it's funny because when I talk about some of that stuff, sometimes people are like, oh, the internet's not really that big of a deal because who really wants to have Judaism in second life? You know, that that's what's the point of that? And and I'm like sort of picturing the conversation back in the old country where people are saying, you know, who would want to move to America? You know, like what, what's the point of having, you know, Judaism in, in some one horse town in, in the, you know, West or something. And you're like, yeah, but that's not what it's going to be in the future. You know, like that's what it <laughs> is today. But in the future, that one horse town in the West is going to be Denver, you know, or whatever. Right. And, and, and so yeah. like, this is not about, yeah, the internet is, is the ultimate place to be Jewish today. That may be part of it. And I'm curious how you think about, you know, on the one hand, I feel like you're saying it's it's actually pretty great today. And you're saying, what's it going to be like in the future? Let's Let's start getting there now because we want to be there when the future is there. Yeah, I definitely think the latter is sort of the angle I was coming from. I feel like this is sort of the director's cut on the, on the DVD. You've got like the the behind the scenes look in addition to the actual talk. I feel like this is the chance to do that. So I'll, I'll give a little bit of like why I chose to, to give this talk. Like I definitely see this as hopefully like an accelerating mechanism. Like I hope this talk on some level helps people to feel the sense of urgency that I think is needed right now so that the internet can be something that is not merely seen as like a sideshow to Jewish life that sure we do a little bit whatever but actually a core location of where Jewish life lives and that's why I consciously used migration language and place language because I really do think that the way the internet works it's not just a technology it is it is a place where we enter into and where we where we create like all the all the resources that that local in-person communities have and it's not just Jewish i mean that's something that is beginning to happen is all sorts of functions that exist in person communities are now seen online i i mean i don't know how you would create like a hospital out online but outside of that in terms of community building mechanisms in terms of uh interest groups in terms of learning and like uh, whether we're talking about schools and libraries or whatever the analogies would be in person we are building those online and you're right i don't think we are really right now in a place where judaism experienced exclusively or vast majority online would be the ideal but definitely i think we're going to be there in not too long and we have to be we have to accelerate the process from where we are now because if we if we continue as we have, I think we're going to consistently be a few decades behind. And and right now, I feel like it's still a rarity for Jewish organizations to be actively utilizing in a public-facing way video chat mechanisms or streaming. Like that's crazy to me. That that's that's old school at this point. Like that's that's been around for like seven years, which I'm I'm using old school consciously because it's that fast a pace of change. Um, but 
I really do believe that the idea of internet as a as a place, as one that's not only a supplement to our local communities, but sort of on the same level as them in terms of where a typical Jew or otherwise would look for community or information is really crucial. Yeah, I think those like place analogies are so interesting. Like I'm I'm thinking as you're talking, like what would it look like to have a Jewish, you know, to have a to have a, a homestead act kind of thing on the internet. You know, like just the, <laughs> but just the idea that right that that what the homestead act allowed was basically for poor people to go out and settle the West and to have what they really dreamed of having, which was land. You know, they might have had like a little shack on the land, but eventually they would be able to farm the land and do well and and build it up and everything. And, you know, I'm just thinking about like, what are the versions of that on the internet? You know, like the, you might look out and, and, and look at, you know, even our website, it's like we're using off the shelf um, stuff, which is amazing that it's even there that you can make websites so easily. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, you had to know how to code and everything. And yeah, like maybe it's not the sort of design that you can afford when you can hire a designer, but it'll get there, um, you know, or we'll, you know, we'll get there, but but it's interesting just to sort of see the 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 various analogies that might come up with that idea of migration, including that it actually is kind of dilapidated at first, maybe, but that's not a reason not <laughs> to go. It's a reason to go and and to work to build it up. Um, the the other thing that I thought was really interesting in in your talk, well, actually, before we get there, so let me ask you. If you, on the one, like I, I heard your talk as kind of this charge, right? That we should take the internet more seriously. What practically would you really like to see done? Like if folks are watching your talk, whether they're just regular Jews or, you know, people in, in more positions of power in the Jewish community, like what do you hope that somebody will watch your talk and, and go off and do differently? There's a few baby baby step kind of things that I think would be important and one of them um, it's funny I, I, my mom might be listening but I've, I've had conversations with her about our synagogue streaming services online and she and I have had disagreements about this she is resistant to it and thinks that there's a danger where you put where you create options for people to connect online where they just won't bother to participate in person and I don't. I can't reject that danger. I think that that's a real danger. I think that it, that it is possible if people have something conveniently that they won't necessarily do something that's less convenient. At the same time, the baby step I'd endorse is that people still go for it and still do stream those services. First, because there are people who can't. Like there are people who actually can't for access reasons, whether they. Uh, can't drive, whether they're not close enough, um, who can't access your synagogue service or your JCC's programming or whatever Jewish institutional thing. Um, I would love to see as a norm that everybody, whether it's services or, you know, talks at the JCC or community events or whatever it is, that all of them are streaming those things online and recording them and putting them out for people to enjoy afterwards. Obviously, if it's something that's sensitive and that that is anonymous or confidential, I'm not saying we ditch those kinds of lines. But for anything that is meant to be open to the public or 
like like we should be looking for ways to reach as many people as possible and i think that ultimately to not do so out of a fear of sort of an institutional interest being compromised when you have the opportunity to reach so many more people um and transcend so many boundaries um of access and geography i think that would be a nice baby step right now to, to just encapsulate right now it is the exception to the rule that events i attend are recorded and streamed out afterwards or during and i would like that to be the norm that's one example one of the things that i thought was really fascinating that you put out there was this idea right that when uh when rabbi yehuda hanasi the compiler of the Mishnah, when he compiled the oral tradition in the Mishnah, he was actually doing something that was seen as transgressive in his society, right? That the oral law was meant to be oral. And he wrote it down. And, you know, it's interesting. It was so interesting to me to think about, you know, when you said in the talk that you came home from the Shavuot event at the synagogue and you turned on the internet to watch the bim bum videos and that there would be people out there who would see that as a transgression. And on the one hand, it's a comment that says, well, I appreciate and I respect the fact that you think this is a transgression and yet I'm going to do it anyway because I think that ultimately it serves a greater purpose. And I'm curious if you think that because of the nature of the internet being electronic and and sort of by necessity violating the um, prohibitions against the use of electronics on Shabbat and holidays in, in Orthodox Judaism and conservative Judaism, that, um, that, that you think that to take the internet seriously as you imagine it in Judaism can only be done in a world in which that prohibition becomes fully transgressed or or not? Because I feel like, you know, if the internet becomes as central to Judaism as you're talking about, then what is, why do we not have it on Shabbat? Yeah, this is, this is a huge, huge deal. And it's something that pains me because here's the thing. We, we had a set of historical and sociological things happen that for whatever reason, made sort of the king observance of Shabbat in American society, in our contemporary world. Like the king practice that's like the most Shabbati is to not use electronic devices. I don't get it. Like I actually don't get it. Like even within the traditional sphere, if you look at the the, the thirty nine tasks that you're not supposed to do on Shabbat, there's a, there's a gazillion of them. There, there's all sorts of things you can't do, and one of them is lighting a fire. And then somebody decided at a certain point that using electronics is a is sort of a subcategory of of lighting a fire. And like then we elevated that to like it's the main thing, so that people who break all sorts of the other Shabbat prohibitions still just can't can't overcome this mental barrier of using electronics because that's like the big one. And it's so devastating to me. It's actually devastating to me because I think that the potential is already there and has been there for, for years at this point to imbue our Shabbat 
experiences and our holiday experiences with so much new thing, so many fantastic ways of thinking. And also, as I've talked about, my my dad like just uses streaming services for his high holiday observances just for people to to have the old thing but a really good version to just be able in milwaukee wisconsin to choose from 75 different services around the country um that's good we should have that for every holiday we should have we should have that as the norm we should have shabbat not be a time that is marked by you know, unplugging. We've got Shabbats of unplugging. And I know that there are many people, even in very progressive circles, that 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 are really excited about this. And I'm not. I'm really not. Because it ultimately holds us back from a set of... And it's not that I have all the ideas. I don't claim to to have 17 different ways that the internet could make your services better. I think there are ways that you can use computers for a service. But once again, it's not it's not about just living our forms of Jewish life that we're used to now in a better way. It's about how could like how could video chat technology, how could social media, how could um all the Jewish videos and podcasts that are online play into these experiences and um i don't i don't have an answer to how we overcome this i think it's going to be a natural but very long process as technology in all spheres is more normalized um and i think it's going to take longer in the jewish religious sphere for that to happen but um yeah i kind of do think we are we are reaching a point where we sort of need to be post halachic to use a faint like we, we need to be post legal framework on this question because I don't think there's a way that you can just write off the rules and say like well once these electronics were forbidden but now because they can achieve certain things we can do them um there are precedents for that you know the conservative movement for example allows folks to drive to synagogue on Shabbat and holidays even though that breaks traditional rules um I think it's hard for people to like get there mentally. And so part of me does think that the the growth of the internet forces us to think about transcending the halakhic system entirely. Maybe that's another episode sometime. Um, but for the time being, I think it's going to be, a, I think that is the biggest barrier and one that I didn't really get to go into so much because ultimately my audience was not meant to be people that are super tied into Jewish legal frameworks. I, I was looking to connect with people who are willing to use technological, to, to use digital devices, electronics, et cetera, on holidays, because I think that's where most of the growth can happen in the immediate future. Um, but it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, but I think that you're right to make the point that even in the circles of Jews who are not, strictly speaking, focused on the legal requirements or prohibitions, you know, the idea of, for example, Shabbat has really seemed like it's been most resonant as this day of unplugging. Uh, in part, that's because that idea has been pushed by a particularly effective organization, etc. But it just sort of seems so that's not for legal reasons, but that's just for reasons of kind of the, the metaphor that they're taking is like, okay, so this is the day that we're going to unplug 
and and the counterfactual, the sort of counter approach to thinking about it would be, let's say that it's not a day of unplugging. What would it be a day of? You know, and because in a world, it seems like in a world in which we have migrated to the internet, right? If we take your metaphor seriously and we say we are actually now living on the internet in a profound way, then you can't unplug from it, right? Then you, 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 so that, so it become in this, in any. And they can't, the, like, the, sorry. Who, who can? Um, no, I, like I'm saying th- those organizations that are trying to can't because I, I've made this example a million times, but how do they, how do they advertise their events? How do they get their word out to all of their people? They use the internet. Um, and and like and then on the day and then immediately afterward they they connect back to one another and circle back and talk about what it was like to unplug. Um, I've said that I would love and maybe I'll do this someday. Who knows? Like I'd love to have a day of plugging in, and I don't mean plugging in in the literal sense, although it would it would involve plugging in in the literal sense. Um, but it would be a day of thinking really creatively about what digital forms of technology could add to our. Shabbat experiences and our holiday experiences, because to me, this is a weird play on words, but but like you can unplug while plugging. I agree with the basic idea of, in a sense, unplugging, like taking a day to sit and and rest a little bit and and not be tied to all sorts of other material concerns. I think that is a good goal. The idea that refraining from technology, from digital devices, etc., inherently helps achieve that goal is not true for me. Like it, it actually just doesn't help for me to not use my phone or my TV. Like I, I like when I unwind to watch a movie. I like when I unwind to to like hang out with friends and maybe play a lot of games now involve shared web resources and apps. And like, like those are things I do when I'm unplugging but they involve plugging. <laughs> Lex, I'm totally with you on that. I, I think that your Eli talk is a really important beginning to a great conversation about the role of the internet in our lives now and in the Jewish future. And uh, I really hope that it does start a conversation that goes beyond some of the truisms that people have uh, accepted about the internet. Yeah, I hope so too. Um And definitely for folks who are interested, there's a whole slew of new Eli talks. I had the privilege of being part of like a really cool, diverse cohort of people. So definitely head to the Eli Talks website, check them all out and have fun with it. Um, It's weird to close out an episode where I was like the interviewee in the subject, but I'm going to do it anyway. So as always, I'll encourage folks to please, please, please be in touch with us. And there are a few ways for you to do that. One is that you can head to our Facebook page, Judaism Unbound. Another is that you can hit up our website, JudaismUnbound.com. And last but not least, you can send us emails at dan at nextjewishfuture.org and lex at nextjewishfuture.org. The last request we always make is that if you're able to, you support us financially. And you can do that at www.judaismunbound.com slash donate. So thanks so much for listening both uh, to my Eli talk and to our analysis of it in this episode. And with that, this has been Judaism Unbound.